0: Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church. And I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. Amen. All right. Before we sit down, let's do our let's do our Bible confession, okay? How many, how many, how many of you know it's important? for the words that we speak out of our mouth, right? We speak them out because they mean something. All right, this is my Bible. Hold it up. This is my Bible. It is what, I mean, I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. I'm about to receive from the incorruptible word of God, and I will never be the same. Never, ever be the same again. Amen. Thank you very much. You all believe that, don't you? All right. I believe it, too, with everything in my being. All right. Well, I'm glad. I tell you what, I was thinking tonight, as cozy as it was, we might have five people show up, but we got more than that. I praise the Lord for that. You guys are so good. Thank you for showing up. So, all right. We're going to continue with our, our study of the Feast of the Lord and I call it the King is coming. Y'all ready for the King to come? The Kingdom come. Amen. Come tonight. That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? All right. So, everybody have a copy. I hope everybody's got a copy of the notes for tonight. I think this is going to be. I'm. I'm really looking forward to this because it's got. This has got uh, every. Every lesson to me has some good stuff in it. But this. One, this one tonight is. Uh, is. Is dear to my heart, and I'm looking forward to. What's uh What's happening? You know why? Because we're talking about the feast of uh, trumpets tonight, and everybody needs to get in their mind what the trumpets mean. And I know you're thinking about it. Everybody knows that uh, one day we're going up, uh, and Jesus is coming down, and it's going to be good. All right, I don't want to give it too much. I don't want to give too much of it away. So okay, let's start on page one. God, uh, this is just some random notes I, I wanted to start off with, but we'll get through this pretty quick. Uh, God wants a relationship with his creation, especially mankind. In the beginning, he created man to represent him on the earth and take dominion over all his creation. He desires to fellowship with his creation. I believe that all he planned throughout the Bible were things, events, circumstances, and opportunities where we could have that intimate contact with his crown of creation. That's what he wants to do. That's what I I like about the feasts of Jehovah. These were times of celebration. How many of you like to celebrate... Yeah, we do, and especially in the presence of the Lord. These are times of celebration hosted by God himself, times of assembly before God to remember him in his greatness and to remember his deliverance and providence. Every time we come through those doors, we ought to thank God for his deliverance and his providence for us. To us, as we have our privileged overview provided by the Old and New Testament accounts, the, uh, Testament accounts these feasts are the picture and demonstration of God's gospel his perfect plan of redemption for his people and all of mankind through his his people. The continuance of these feasts throughout all the ages are also a demonstration of his plan and ability to preserve his people, the people of Israel, and to finally restore them back to a relationship with him again in the end times, even though most of the Jewish people probably don't even realize this. And speaking of restoration, I believe we are on the brink of witnessing it firsthand, or at least the birth pangs doesn't take much to look around and see what's happening in this world, does it? Especially this, a lot of things happening in Israel, even from since the first of the year. So uh, keep looking at the signs. In the study of these feasts, we see that God is a promise keeper and not a promise breaker. That all of his covenant, covenants with his people will ultimately be fulfilled. And just as his word says and has proven, God is true to his word. When he says something, it's going to take place. We have studied through the spring feasts, which include Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Uh, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits were historically fulfilled by Jesus in his first coming, for they were the foreshadowing of our Savior Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross. And I repeat these things. Uh, a lot. The reason for that is because it's a it's a reminder. The more you hear them, the more you get them down in your spirit, you know. And so, some people may not have been here last week, but anyway, I just I'll, I'll go over some of this is repetitive. I know from the last time, but anyway, get it down in your spirit. That's that's why we say things over and over again. It's like Pastor has said many times. I say this thing over and over again because sometimes you don't get it. Well, maybe you'll get it. But that's right, right? You got it. I <laughs> promise, keeper. Also, just like the Father. Like his Father, Jesus, after his ascension into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, comfort, truth, and power, fulfilling the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. You know, we had the first three, and then we had the one in the middle uh, 50 days later. God wants our relationship with, he wants our relationship with him. We can't have it without being in peace with him. That's our first thing, peace with him. And we can't do his will on earth unless we have the power from on high through the Holy Spirit. Now, last time we met, we talked about the period of time between the spring feast and the fall feast, the three- to four-month interval when all of the other harvests were to take place. They were finishing the grain harvest, and you remember it was barley first and then wheat, and now is a very busy time with the preparation for the harvesting of grapes, olives, almonds, and all other fruits like pomegranates and everything. Everything was coming together at the same time, and more or less the summer harvests were occurring or coming. This interval will focus on summer harvesting in relation to the feast of God is ordained, as God ordained and his plan of redemption was what we call this present age or the church age. We went over this last, that's, that was our last session. We're living in that time between heavenly fulfillment of the first four ordained feasts of uh, Leviticus 23, this time of mercy and grace where the harvest of the Gentiles is going on, we talked about that, and the yet-to-be-fulfilled three fall feasts, trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. And, and as we go through these three last feasts in this last season, there is, a, there is a present fulfillment, but there's going to be a future fulfillment, and that's what we're really uh, looking for. And during this time called the church age, when God is drawn back from dealing with his people of the promise directly, uh, he has been gathering to himself a people from out of the world, drawn to gra- faith by grace, made up of all nations, races, and cultures, united and empowered by the Holy Spirit, to walk in love and truth. This is the church as we have it today. That's what we were talking about before. It's This is the Gentile church or or the church uh, because the Jews rejected uh, him, uh, although there are saved Jews. So anyway, that's the church as we have it today. Now we're we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about the Feast of Trumpets, or the Hebrew way of saying that is, Yom, uh, uh, let me see how... Good, I can mess this up. It's Yom. Yom always means uh, day. So Yom teruwak. Teru Wak. Teru Wak. That's got meaning, but anyway, we'll get to that. And then also as uh, uh, Rosh, Rosh Hashanah. The Feast of Trumpets is the beginning of the fall festivals. It takes place in the Jewish month of Tishri on day one and two when there is a new moon announced. It, you, by the Gregorian or Gentile calendar, it's September or October time frame. That's about when it happens, so somewhere in that mid-30 uh, days in, that, in between those. So um, all Jewish months begin on a new month. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Uh, they begin on the new month because they, their calendar is based on the lunar cycles. So they, be, they begin on a new, new moon. Uh, this is the only feast that actually begins at the first of the month or on the new moon. So our, our scripture for our, as we carry on with this uh, in Leviticus 23 for this particular feast is uh, 24 and 25 of Leviticus 23, and here it is. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall make offer, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, the month Tushri is the seventh month of the Jewish calendar and that ought to bring to mind also it's the seventh month so it's, it's, it should be, you know, what we say about the number seven, uh, it's, a, it's, the, it's, it's like the Sabbath, it's, a, it's kind of a Sabbath month, but it's one of the most important months on the Jewish religious calendar and the first month of the Jewish civil year. So it's the seventh month on the religious calendar, it's the first month on the civil calendar, they have two calendars. Uh, and so that's where we get the first, uh, the, the, the Rosh Hashanah, which literally means head of the year, the new year. And Rosh Hashanah is not in the Bible, but it's derived from the teachings of the Talmud, or, or Jewish written text from oral tradition. Uh, the Talmud is not considered inspired, but it is considered profitable to study in order to understand Jewish history and uh, tradition. Uh, Jewish uh, tradition also teaches that um, Rosh Hashanah will be the time of, of the resurrection. So keep that in mind as we go forth. Rosh Hashanah is, is taught in Jewish tradition as it's the time of resurrection. And so um, that's why when, uh, if, you ch- if you check into it, a lot of the, the older Jews that are from Israel, they want to be born, uh, not born, they want to be buried. When they die, they want to be buried right there at Mount Olives because that's where uh, Jesus is going to set foot when he comes back. They, they call it the Messiah. They don't believe in Jesus, of course. But uh, the Messiah will set foot on earth when he comes back or when he comes to the earth the first time, according to there. But he will come to earth and set foot on Mount Olives. So they want to be buried there because they want to be the part of the first people that get resurrected. So that's tradition for them. So I thought that was interesting. In the Bible, the feast is referred to... Now listen to this. There's, look at all these names. This same feast, It's Yom Teruach, Is is uh, referred to as as the Day of Remembrance, or it's referred to as the Day of Awakening of the of the Awakening Blast, also the Day of Judgment, the opening of the books, the opening of the gates, the wedding of the Messiah, the coronation of the King, and a time of Jacob's trouble. And they they use these names uh, uh, interchangeably on there when they're talking about that, just depending on what facet of the of the holiday you're talking about. Its Hebrew name is, of course, like I said, uh, Yom Teruach, um, it, which which means day of blowing of trumpets. Remember what it said back there in the... the you know, the Jews are very literal. And they say, just like it said in the scripture, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. Well, that, that uh, blowing of trumpets right there is actually... You look it up in the Hebrew language, it's Teruach. So they call it the, the day of blowing of trumpets. You can see by all the different names... It's it's very rich in prophetic implication, and we'll be discussing some of these later on. We'll see very much of that because so you'll refer may need to refer back to those different names that are on there. The main purpose of the feast was to announce both the arrival of the seventh month and the start of preparation for the Day of Atonement Yom Kippur, which would uh, occur exactly ten days later, and then later in history. Uh, this became this feast became the announcement of the Jewish New Year Rosh Hashanah. I told you that it wasn't in the Bible, and they say that the Rosh Hashanah was added after uh, the Jewish uh, the Jewish people in their captivity in Babylon. Uh, it was added after that, so I mean a lot of things were changed. Matter of fact, all these months names like uh, Tishri and and Nisan and uh, we'll see another one here in a minute, Elul. That all come from being the names of uh, they're, they're actually uh, uh, some of them could even be named was the next month before uh, Elul is called Tammuz uh, actually comes from a Babylonian deity. So, I mean, these names are, I, if you remember right, when I when I told you uh, about the names, they didn't call them by a month name like January, February, March. They call it month one, month two, or the first month, or the second month, or the third month. Like I said, they're very literal about that. They didn't have names like that for that particular deal. Those names come along later as a, as a traditional thing from, the, from the, uh, their captivity in Babylon. <clears throat> okay, where am I? Okay, this... Uh, so Rosh Hash- we t- stopped with Rosh Hashanah. This period of the first 10 days of the month of Tishri were considered the high holy days or days of awe. The blowing of the trumpet was always done at the first of each month, so everyone would know when the new mon- month began. They had what they called watchers, who would be watching to see, they'd be up on a high place in the temple area or wherever they would be, watching to see when the first sliver of the new moon would appear. It had to be confirmed by two watchers to the high priest before it was to be officially announced. So, but on this month, on the first day of Tishri, the trumpets, in other words, every month they were looking for that first sliver of the new moon and they would blow the trumpets on that and that would make the announcement of of, uh, the... uh, the first of the month. In other words, the month starts. But on this month, on, this is a different. This month is different. On this month, on the first day of Tishri, the trumpets or horns were blown extra loud and extra long throughout the entire day. It's a, it's a special month. It's, a, it's a Rosh Hashanah. It's, a day, it's 10 days before the, uh, the uh, uh, Yom Kippur, and uh, so it's very important. It signaled that this was the end of the religious feast seasons and the last time of the year when all the males were required to travel to Jerusalem for the feast, and it was time for preparation for the Day of Atonement. That's that's during the ten days of awe. In other words, Day of Atonement's the same. That's that's Yom Kippur. Um, I suppose it was a lot like our uh, that this this celebration was a lot like our celebration of ringing in the the new year, all the noise and things like that but except it wasn't, it wasn't done, it's not done at midnight, and it's not with the drunken revelry that we see all over the world when we come bring in our new year. So, a little different. It's a solemn time, uh, but it's also a noisy time. On all other months, silver horns were blown to announce the beginning of the month. And we'll get to the silver horns in just a minute. But on this month, the month of Tishri, the type of horn blown was the shofar, the ram's horn which was in remembrance of the ram that God provided to be sacrificed in place of Isaac on Mount Moriah. You can see that. Go back and read that in Genesis uh, 22, 13. So I brought uh, a shofar, just so you can see. So you can take take a look. This is, this is actual, actually a shofar. This is a ram's horn, and it's, it doesn't look too impressive, does it? But that's what it is. This is the one the type that they used, uh, and, and traditionally most 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 use nowadays. Now, most of you have seen, and I know I've seen them, and I always thought that was strange too, but the long, you've seen the long curly ones and on there, most of them seen it, and they make a great sound. Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's an acceptable shofar too, but this is the real biblical shofar that they actually uh, use, or uh, did use, and you'll see as most indicated in there. That that long shofar that, that you see with the, that's like anywhere from 24 to uh, three-foot long, that is what they call a Yemenite shofar, and it's made from an antelope uh, called kudu, a kudu antelope, uh, but it's kosher. In other words, it's acceptable because it's a clean animal, and matter of fact, they said uh, in, in studying this uh, that any of the animals that were f- sacrificed on the altar that were clean animals that had horns could be used as a shofar, even a bull's horn, you know, like that, so it could be a shofar too, but mostly the ram, and this is, like I said, it was uh, in tradition the shofar, of the ram's horn, uh, because in remembrance of the ram uh, that God used uh, in place of Isaac uh, when Abraham was going to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Jewish tradition states that God blew the shofar at Mount Sinai, where at the giving of the law, and will also blow the shofar at the coming of the Messiah. There's Jewish tradition also teaches this is this is wild. The Jewish tradition also teaches that these two shofar. Two shofars of ram's horn are the actual horns off the ram that was provided to Abraham for Isaac. In other words, that the, the, the horn that God blew when he came down and on the mountain, and if you'll remember the account, the, 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 the trumpet sound, where it says trumpet on there, that actually interprets into shofar. That sound was actually one of these, according to them, that was actually one of these horns that God was blowing. And then the next one that will blow will be uh, the coming of the Messiah. I thought that was very interesting. Um, the trumpets and shofars in the in the a matter of fact, they also get down to the, the detail in the tradition, saying that the left horn was the horn that was blown in Mount Sinai, and the right horn is the one that will be blown at the uh, coming of the Messiah, or in our case, uh, we're talking about the coming of the, the Rapture. Uh, we'll talk about that later. The trumpets and shofars in the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament acted as a means of communication from God to his covenant people. He could speak indirectly to his people without terrifying them. If you remember at the the account at Mount Sinai, they were so afraid of his presence and his voice that they implored Moses to uh, speak with God and that they they would hear from him, but not directly from God, for they feared that they would die. Go back and read that account in in, uh, Exodus 20, 18 through 20. So it is said that this is the way that God would speak to his people because they could not bear the voice of God. But to the Hebrew people, the sound of the trumpets represented both the voice of God and the might of God in warfare. The voice of God and the might of God. So the trumpet sound was very important to the Hebrew uh, culture, and still is. The horns, or the, that is at least the Orthodox uh, Hebrews or, or Jews, the horns are trumpets were commanded to be blown in the instructions that God gave to his people for various specific purposes other than the announcement of a new month. Numbers chapter 10 gives a summary of the instructions on the trumpets, who would blow them and for what purpose. Now, in number 10, let's read Numbers 10, uh, 1 through 2, and then we'll jump down to 8 through 10. We won't read the whole passage. I, I think I can get all, all of it we need out of those four five verses there. And so it starts in number verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camp. camps. The sons of Abraham, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever uh, throughout your generations. And then we'll go down to... Or, Verse 9, when you go to war in your land, listen to this, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound, shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpet over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial to you before, you, before your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, a little side note on this, too. It says up there, if you remember what I said in verse 2, it says, Make two silver trumpets. Uh, Tradition says also that these two silver trumpets were actually made from uh, the silver ransom money that was required in Exodus 30. Uh, Every man had to pay a half a shekel of silver, the price of a life, which was like eight grams of silver. It doesn't make any difference if you're a rich man, a poor man, a big man, a little man. It didn't make any difference what position you were. Every man paid the same price into the service of the tabernacle. And so it was like every man, no matter who it was, no matter what stage of life, no matter what position you had, you paid the same amount, which was a half a shekel. And so if you remember back from our tabernacle studies, what what did the metal silver uh, uh, represent? It represented redemption. And so the two trumpets made of silver can also be pointing to ransom or redemption, uh, depending on how you want to look at that. So, and we'll we'll uh, see some more about that later on. About the silver trumpets versus uh, the shofar itself. Here are the main reasons outlined in that passage for blowing the trumpets. You can you can underline them when you go back and look at your scripture if you want to. But it's all there. Uh, Here are the main reasons. to to call his people to assemble, a call to begin... We're talking now, remember, we're talking about the camp of Israel, right? A call to his people to assemble, a call to begin movement uh, of the camp as an alarm or a war cry, to be blown at festivals, and to announce a new month. So it pretty much states that in in that passage that we just read. Now, not in this passage, but in another time, another time the trumpet was blown throughout the land was the declaration or a declaring of a jubilee year on every 49th year Day of Atonement. In other words, when it rolled off the round to be the 49th year, and there was a Day of Atonement, then that started the 50th year, and so that was a year of Jubilee. And you can read that in those scripture references that I give you right there. And it's very interesting reading. I I would encourage you to go back and read that about the year of Jubilee. Some other examples of blowing the shofar that you are familiar with would be a the account in Joshua 6, as we are, we've known and, and pastors preached on it, we've had many times about that. Joshua 6, as they pr- moved into the Promised Land at the Battle of Jericho. Remember when they marched around uh, the city of Jericho, and guess what? There were shofars uh, involved in that. And then uh, in the book of Judges, the story of Gideon uh, defeating the Midianites with 300 men. All 300 men where part of their armor was a shofar, and, and read the story. It, it, it's, it's very good to, to read that and see what happened on that particular uh, battle. Uh, something that might help you to understand the trumpet signals, and i have just put this in here so you'd, to help you understand what we're talking about and how those signals uh, work but, uh, and how to relate to this, are the bugle calls utilized in the military to signal commands on the battlefield and the noise and confusion of battle, or changes to the daily routines of of camp. And I'm thinking about, back in the day, Don, you remember our favorite uh, John Wayne Western, uh, she wore a yellow ribbon with the cavalry in there yeah. You'll think about this, next time you watch this, you'll pay attention to those bugle calls. Uh, an example would be the call of boots and saddles for the cavalry, which was the call signaling the men to equip themselves and their mounts immediately and could be sounded any time without uh, warning. Other military or cavalry signals would be giving directions to, to uh, forces engaged in battle, such as go forward, to the right, to the left, Rally to the chief, trot, gallop, commence firing, cease firing, etc. They had a, they had a horn, or they had a toot for just about everything. You know, you you can listen to it. I listened to them and pulled them up on, on the, on Google just to hear the different ones, and you can see the different uh, sounds of each one of them back in those days when they still used that. It had to be learned in a very disciplined manner, in order for it to work, as in, mil- in a, as in a military setting. I promise you, the troops knew what the, s- the signals meant. So you know when they. When they signaled retreat, you didn't want to go forward, right? So you knew the difference between a retreat signal or a horn uh, blow or a bugle call, or the one that says go forward, or cease fire, or the fire, or something like that. So you had to get that right, and that was a discipline they learned. Um, so it's now, so it is now still practiced in some military bases. Only now it's done mostly out of loudspeakers across the base and in the building of the base. I'm probably wrong on that because I talked to my grandson Peyton. He's in uh, joint Base uh, lewis McCord I said, "How do you do that now across the base? How do you get commands across there?" And he said, "Well, we really don't use that." He said, "If, if we were trained, if in, in a battle situation, they they mostly technology. You know, you ever, every uh, platoon leader or, or uh, lead uh, leader of the group, whatever it may be, what size group it was, had a what they call an A/C radio or something. They communicated that way. I don't know who's in the army or anything knows more about it than I do, but that's the way they." they communicate then and they spread the work to their small group. You know, it could be a, a squad as little as five or eight men, but that's the way they do it. They don't, they don't, I don't guess they don't They don't have a bugle, a need for that kind of a call in there. Although they do, I know when, we, when we've when we been up to uh, Washington visiting uh, with Peyton on the base, they do still use a cannon on base for signaling like the start of the day and the end of the day. Everybody knows the, the blow in the morning, the, 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 Blast in the morning, everybody knows what the blast in the evening is. It's the end of the day, and they always play the, the anthem, or, or I think it's the anthem at, at the end of that, uh, you know, wherever it's supposed to be. And all soldiers at that time that are out there uh, about and they're busy, they're supposed to stand and salute uh, during that time of the playing of the a- anthem or whatever like that. So it does have relevance, you know, in that, in that the, the things you hear like that uh, cause you to uh, uh, set up and take notice Uh, you know, the start of the day or the end of the day or whatever like that. So just thought that was interesting. So the people of uh, Israel were very familiar with the blowing of the trumpets, whether the two silver trumpets or the shofar, the ram's horn. They knew the order of the blast and what they stood for and how to respond. They had to know that because that's, that's the way they communicated, and so they knew what was going on. You have to remember, and we'll see that here in just a second. We'll, we'll see what, what I'm talking about. You have to remember the encampment of the Israelites in the wilderness was, a very lo- was very large. Two and a half to three million people over a large, very large area. So you don't just holler at somebody across, you know, uh, 100 yards over and think everybody's going to get the message. They blew those trumpets, those two trumpets, and they blew them, and, you know, they signaled. Uh, if you read it, you go, go back and read the rest of uh, Numbers chapter 10. I believe it's in chapter 10 it tells, you know, they blew a trumpet blast and this part of the camp would move. And they blew another trumpet blast and it was a signal for that part of the camp. They moved in order. In other words, not everybody just picked up and left. They moved in order. It was either the, I think it was the south, the the, 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 the encampment on the south of the tabernacle would move first and then the encampment on the north uh, east would move. I, I can't remember the exact order. But they had an order to do that. It was organized and very uh, thorough and they had to do that otherwise it would have been mass confusion and so... Uh, God knew what He was doing when He set that up uh, with the uh, uh, with the trumpets. So uh, a thing that you need to know is preceding the month of Tishri and Rosh Hashanah or Yom Ter- Ter- Teruah is the the month Elul. I, I said that earlier. This the Jewish people anticipating the high holy days, the days of awe, and especially Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which was their highest holy day. They're they're very extremely high. They go into what they call, starting at the month of Elul, they go into a 30-day period of preparation, which they call the season of teshuva, meaning a time to repent or turn shuv toward God. Here are the patterns of the trumpet shofar blasts that were blown during the month of Elul every day except the Sabbath. So every day, they didn't blow the trumpets on or the shofar on, on Sabbath. Uh, they blew it... Uh, every day but the Sabbath. So they had four, four blasts that went out. And Listen to this. So they had what they called tekiah. It was a long, single blast, and that represented the sound. The, every one of these have a meaning, and that represented the sound of the king's coronation. And then there was shivarim, which are three short, whale-like blasts signifying repentance. In other words, it, it's, it, when you heard those blasts right there, it was kind of like a whale, like a, like a cry uh, out or a, or a wail, wailing woman or something like that, crying out. And what that meant, it was signifying bro, brokenness, weeping and, and lamenting like a broken heart. So it, that's what the sound is supposed to sound like, and that signifies repentance. And then the, one, there, the third one was Teruak, which was several short blasts uh, of alarm uh, to awaken the soul to be prepared. And then uh, Tekia Hagodola is the long final blast, aka the 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 last uh, trump. Now, um, I've asked they, we got so I want you to take a listen to listen intently. We're gonna we're gonna play that those uh, four this this sounding of a shofar and listen to what they say. Remember, we're saying takia, Tekia, Chevarim, teruah, and then takia hagadolah. So, Jennifer, you, you'd play that the first time. Did you hear the distinction between the different ones? There are four different ones, right? You had to, you had to really be listening to that. So, so you know, there, we had the long single blast, then we had the three short, then we had several short blasts, and normally what they say, the several short blasts, are, they're like nine blasts of alarm to awaken. So, and then the long blast, the long final blast, and they said usually that blast, that long final blast was like as long as the, whoever was blowing it could last as far as our wind would go. So, you know, it'd last for a long time. These were the, th- these were the things that were um, uh, th- every day, they were for 30 days, they were, they were a reminder of what this time, these 30 days of repentance was all about. So, Jennifer, play that one more time just so we have a reference on that. Okay? I thought it just thought it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> as that last little upsweep there. But li- as you listen to that right there, when they're hearing this, this is what they're hearing. Wake up, repent. Get prepared. The last trump is going to be here. You will be called up. You know, just so that's what they're. That's what that blast is saying when you see hear that. So, uh, so, and also on that last one called Tekiah Hagodala, it, the sound that was heard. It, it's supposed to represent the sound that was heard in the mountain, at, at, on the mountain at, at Mount Sinai when God called Moses up uh, onto the mountain. Remember, remember, he, they, they heard the blast. The people couldn't handle it, and that's when God, that, that's that long blast. And you know, the account, if you go back and read it in Exodus 19, 16 through 19, if you read it, it just said the trumpet blast just continued to get louder and stronger and louder and stronger. And that's, of course, God's not going to run out of breath. So, I mean, if he's blowing the trumpet, you can see why it could get louder and bl- blowing, you know. So, anyway, that's, uh, and so... Uh, so, you know, and you look at that, when you look at that, too, that's when, think about this, because we're going to get into it here in just a little bit. Think about this. Uh, man, I've got to hurry. Um, when, when that last, think about the last trump. We'll get to that here pretty quick. But uh, the last trump is also when, when, when God came down on the mountain and Moses went up, that's also a picture and a representation of the rapture of the church. In other words, it gives you a picture of it. God came down. And Moses went up, Christ is going to come down we 're going to go up, right? All right, so I, I thought that's a great picture of that. Jewish writers believe um, and I told you this earlier that they believe that the Tikkia Hagoai, the one that the last blast right there, is the one that will actually institute or in, implement or or uh, in, uh, Get started on the on the resurrection like we started before. So that long blast like that. So anyway, on the day of Yom Teruach or Rosh Hashanah, the the shofar. Now we we we've, we've been through thirty days of that. Now we're going on the day of Yom Teruach, Rosh Hashanah. The shofar was blasted at least hundred times during the usual service that day, thus satisfying the command to make uh, Teruach or or blowing of the trumpet. In other words, noise. On that day, God wanted noise on that day. The sound of the shofar is meant to stir the heart to fear and to inspire repentance. Amos 3 6, uh, made it, this is in the New American Standard Bible, but it says this Amos 3 6 says, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will the people not tremble? You know, if you heard that blowing like that and, and you knew what the meaning of it was, I think it would probably put a, a little shiver down your spine. Now, referring back to the earlier comment that the Hebrew people, people considered the sound of the trumpet as the voice of God. Listen to this commentary by Matthew Henry. Remember the voice, the voice of God. Matthew Henry on Numbers ten ten. It, it's just too good not to share, and I, I consider at this point. So I just copied it right directly out of the out of the <coughs> system that I was looking at right there. But here's the comment on on the on on the uh, directions that he give about the trumpets. So here Matthew Henry says, "Here are directions concerning the public notices to be given to people by sound." of trumpet. Their laws in every case were to be divine, therefore even in this matter Moses is directed. These trumpets typ- typify the preached gospel. It sounds an alarm to sinners, calls them to repent, proclaims liberty to the captives and slaves of Satan, and collects the worshipers of God. It directs and encourages their heavenly journey, stirs them up to com- combat against the world of, of, and sin, encourages them with the assurance of victory. It leads their attention to the sacrifice of Christ and shows the Lord's presence for their protection. It is also necessary that the gospel trumpet give a distinct sound. I added rhyme a word, but I think you'll see what it means there. A distinct sound, according to the people, the persons addressed, or the in, or the end produced, uh, proposed, whether to convince, humble, console, exhort, reprove, or teach. The sounding of the trumpet of the gospel is God's ordinance and demands the attention of all. To whom it is sent? Doesn't that line up exactly with what that isn't that good, Pastor? Uh, It lines up exactly with those directions he gives to Moses about when the blowing of the trumpet should take place. So you may have to read that a couple of times to really get all the good out of it. But I think once you get that, read read Numbers ten, those verses in Numbers ten, one through ten, and then read that again, that commentary, and you'll it'll start getting to you really good. So, uh, But I think once, the, once you get the gist of what is being said, you'll have a better understanding of how the shofar typifies the preached gospel. It also brings to mind this scripture passage from the book of John where Jesus is teaching uh, about the good shepherd. John uh, 10, uh, he's talking about the good shepherd. I only t- uh, took verses 4 and 5 out of that. And he's talking, and he says, and when he brings out his own sheep, he's talking about the good sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Voice of God. Remember, we we're talking about it, and they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I thought that lined right up with that scripture there. They, the sheep know the voice of God. The people of Israel knew the voice of God. They knew that He knew. They knew the 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 sound of the trumpets and what it was. So earlier in this lesson, we said one of the other names this feast is known by is the day of remembrance. Numbers ten nine that we read earlier says this. When you go, you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, the shofars, and you will be remembered before their Lord your God and you will be saved from your enemies. It is believed by Jewish tradition. This is a good one right here. It's believed by Jewish tradition that the offering of Isaac occurred on this day, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruach. It is said among the Jews, that when the God hears the sound of the shofar, he is moved to leave his seat of judgment and go to his seat of mercy and forgiveness. Now, that ought to be a shout of hallelujah right there when you think about it, you know. That makes you want to get out and blow your horn, right? I may practice on my shofar, and every time I need to repent, I'm going to, I'm going to blow it. But, you know, think about that. He moves from his seat of judgment and goes to his seat of mercy and forgiveness. So thank God for forgiveness. Now, as for the spiritual significance of the feast, of trumpets for believers, trumpets being part of the last feast season, it speaks of repentance, of spiritual preparation for the coming day of atonement when the entire nation of Israel was to be judged. The present fulfillment in Jesus, uh, in the spiritual sense, has been through the call of God for all of us to re- to repentance and to follow him. All of us had to come to repentance and to, and to call him Lord and Savior. Our warrior king to do battle during this church age was just this time of grace. And during this growing season, that's where we're in, This this church this this dispensation of grace this church age is a growing season it's our job to work the final summer harvest while we still have time i thought this passage by jesus talking about the widened harvest to be quite interesting and convicting this is right after this is right after jesus had his little talk with the Sarah, the samaritan woman at the well when he asked her to draw him a, some water and then she said you don't have it uh, you know uh, you don't have anything to draw water with. And he said, if you would have known who this was, I would have given you a, a river of living water. But anyway, and, and she told, he, he's the one that told her, you know, that you were, you had five husbands. But anyway, and his disciples come back, and they were surprised and marveled that he ta- even talked to her, a Samaritan woman. And Jesus said this, Do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. So this is a wake-up call. I look at this as a wake-up call for... There's, there's Samaritan women, there's other people out there, there's people that are, the harvest is out there, if we'll just sit up and take a look and see the whitened harvest out there that we've got work to do while we're in this church dispensation. Though that's just a little side note there. <clears throat> Jesus set up his kingdom on earth in his people. He is our warrior king and has already won the battle for us over Satan. Thank God for, the, for winning the battle. He is called the horn of our salvation. Horns were blown in triumph when a king won a battle. So even to this day, uh, the Jewish people, they, even, even during this time, they say even during this time in, in, uh, in Israel with all this, uh, uh, this COVID-related stuff that's going on, they're having such a time with this that many people have mounted up to, and, and, and have started blowing the shofar every day because they want God to remember his people. You know? So they still use that today. They're blowing shofars every day over in, in Israel. Now, let's look at what we see, the prophetic implications of fulfillment of this feast. If you recall in our studies of the first four feasts, uh, Passover, Unleavened Bread, first fruits, and Pentecost, all were fulfilled in order and precisely on the day, the appointed days of the feast. So, I, you know, if we look at that, I, I believe there is no reason not to believe that these remaining feasts will be fulfilled in like manner and order. So if the first four feasts were fulfilled on the appointed days, what's to say that the next four, three feasts that are left Will not be. I believe God's a God of order, and He's a God that keeps things going the way they're supposed to do. So, uh, so in saying that, many believers believe uh, many believe that the future fulfillment of the feast directly correlates to the rapture of the church, and simultaneously starting the heavenly clock again on dealing directly with Israel. So let's look at some scripture that support this. What I'm saying is, people are looking believe. There's lots of people that believe. And there's uh, people that believe otherwise, too. But a lot of people believe that if, when he, the rapture will occur on the first day, on, on, the, on the Feast of Trumpets, the day, the Arm of walk. Now, that's not setting a time frame. That's not to say, well, we've got to look and make sure that next year, I'll, you know, I'll get prepared or next year I'll be prepared or looking for it or whatever like that. No man knows the time or the hour. Understand that. We'll talk about that in just a second So to support that. But anyway, that's just what they're saying. Some people, even believe, some, some people even believe that, the, that, that uh, uh, Jesus will come again on Pentecost, but uh, that's, that's just, uh, these, are, these are just points of view. Uh, remember in Numbers 10 passage earlier about the use of the two trumpets and the commands given to the Hebrew encampment, the first two commands were to call the people to assemble and to call the call to begin movement of the camp. Both of these commands seem to apply to the faithful church and to the nation of Israel. Think about that. The call to assemble and movement of the camp. For the church, in First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. See, God came down. Jesus came down from the mountain, and Moses went up. Christ came down, and we go up. Uh, amen to that. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two says, In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's that word, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The shofar trumpet will be blown. The righteous will be assembled in the air. That's what it says. He's calling his people to assemble assembled in the air, and the whole camp will move to heaven. Sounds right to me. How about you? You guys convinced yet? For the nation of Israel, this is what we have for here, Isaiah eleven, eleven through 12. It shall come to pass, this is talking about Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Does that sound like he's calling his people to assemble? It does. And this verse we read last time, for Romans eleven twenty five, 25, we read part of this. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so that's we're talking about a calling to assemble and a movement of the camp. And one more for Israel, since we love Israel so much. I, give you, I, I gave to you the, the last time uh, in our study about the church, I give you a, a scripture out of Hosea. It was Hosea 3-4, showing Israel's condition after rejecting Jesus. And so it says in 3.4, it says, uh, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. But if you read the very next verse in Hosea 3.5, it says, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. See, that's talking about bringing back Israel. I think God's got that uh, that's all worked out. Uh, for that, so as for Israel, the shofar, the trumpet is blown. The remnant of his people are gathered from the four corners of the earth. Then, the, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that that word is fullness of the Gentiles has come in, meaning the catching away of the church. And we see a return to the land and seeking of God by Israel. In other words, one day when they hear that trumpet, I, I believe it's going to happen. I mean, this is the way I believe it's going to happen. That trumpet's going to blow. It may not be a sound that the whole world hears, but the believers the ones that are in Christ will hear that and will disappear. And I believe at that time also that trumpet, the, 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 there's two trumpets blown. The other trumpet will be blown for Israel and Israel, this will be a call for them. And that's when the greatest movement of Israel from around the world, the people that are scattered, that were just scattered in the diaspora after, after in AD 70 whenever the Romans destroyed the temple and all of Israel was scattered at that time. Those faithful, uh, orthodox, the people that believe, they will start gathering. I know, you know, we have a, a, a partial gathering back in now, but I believe there will be a gathering like never before uh, when that time happens uh, back to Israel. So what we see here is what God, is that God has both a heavenly fulfillment planned and an earthly fulfillment planned as we approach the spiritual and last uh, Feast of Trumpets. And when I say last, I believe once the last Feast of Trumpets happens, there won't be, if we believe that away, uh, you know, that will happen at that, that time. Whenever it does happen, there won't be a need for Feast of Trumpets anymore. <clears throat> as far as I understand from what the Bible says, the only feast that we'll, we'll uh, celebrate when we uh, are with Jesus in the, either in the thousand years or in, in heaven will be the Feast of Tabernacles, but we'll talk about that later. So, <clears throat> when that fullness has come in, what uh, most would say is the end of the disp- dispensation of grace. Uh, this is where we believe it will be the time of the rapture, or the word, uh, the word in, in the Greek is harpazo, or, or catching away, of the church, and the judgment of revelations begin of the revelation begins on the eve of the world. So here's a note: rapture is not a biblical word. Y'all, I hope y'all knew that. Figured most of you did, but it's not. You're not going to find it in the Bible. But it's in it's in Second Corinthians twelve too. I mean, that's where we'll find it. Not twelve two, but a, 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 a one of the scriptures we'll read here in just a minute. Uh, but is the concept a word that has the meaning here? Actually, the word rapture comes from an obsolete French word which means abduction or to carry off. So you can see how it's used uh, or where we get the concept right there. Uh, Paul had his own rapture event in Second Corinthians twelve two. Go back and read that, uh, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I don't have time to cover it tonight. God will be dealing with both the church and his covenant, and with his covenant people Israel at the same time. The caught away church will be in heaven receiving their rewards and attending the marriage supper of the Lamb, while covenant Israel will be going through a time of trial and testing along with the rest of the world. Some re- refer to this as the time of Jacob's trouble. Remember I told you that was one of the names that this feast was called. This feast day was called as the time of Jer- Jacob's trouble. We'll cover that, I think, in the next, uh, when, we, uh, when we talk about <clears throat> the next feast coming up, Yom Kippur. Now, I realize that the, that the subject of the rapture can be a tr- controversial issue. I didn't write this in your notes, but I'm just telling you. Subject, it's subjective to many different opinions as to the actuality of the event, the timing, who is involved, how many. You can probably talk to 10 different pastors pastors and get 10 different answers, or 10 different Bible scholars, and you may get 10 different answers, but I think most... Believe, or I think most in our church believe in this way. So, what I do is in, I'm encouraging you to do your own homework. Don't rely upon me uh, and, and, or, or pastors. That, that should be the, the, the whole deal anyway. You should, you should always do your own Bible study uh, diligently. Be like the Berean Christians in Acts 17 11 who searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. In other words, they didn't take Paul and Peter and everybody else at their word. They searched the scriptures to make sure that what they were saying was actually in there. So anyway, moving on. When times of judgment have come upon the earth, God has always evacuated his people. Two examples, Noah's Ark and Sodom and Gomorrah. You, both, you, you know both the stories. Noah's Ark, there was only eight left. Everybody else was destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah, only Lot and his family were removed uh, from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you know the story about that also note that after and, and note this go back and look at this in revelation uh, uh chapter four you can after chapter three which chapter two and three deals with the seven churches of revelation uh the church the churches are not mentioned again after chapter four uh this is an interesting point because if you read chapter one verse one and chapter four uh you will see that there's a trumpet mentioned in there so i I, I didn't have time to cover all of that in here but that's Good Bible study for you to go back. And look, when we're talking about a time of rapture or when the rapture might occur. So <clears throat> this feast called Yom Teruah occurs on the first day of the seventh month when the new moon is first sighted, meaning they only needed to see a small sliver of the crescent. The watchers had to be faithful throughout the night in order not to miss it. This means that they had to be very alert and watchful to give the signal uh, to sound the new month of Tishri. This tells me that we need... Watchfulness on our part to be prepared for the days of the Lord, for the day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 4 through 6 says, in verse 4, it says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and the sons of the day. We are not of the night uh, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then 2 Peter 3.11-14, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You need to go back and underline that when you get a chance. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved uh, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his, his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Matthew 24, 36 through 44. I know it's a lot of scripture, but it's important. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. And so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken away, taken and the other left. Women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour and thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, typically that scripture would apply is, and is mostly talking about the Jewish population right there. We use that a lot in the Christian church as a time to say that this is, that's what we're talking about. But really, if you go back and study It's actually applicable to the Jews because I think I believe the way I see the things in in that particular scripture that um, that will be uh, we will be out of the picture by that time. But the main point is, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. How many of you know that when the rapture? I want you just throw this out there. How many of you know that when the rapture occurs, that's not the second coming of Christ? I hope you know that. That's not the second coming of Christ. That's just the rapture event. That's the time when he comes to get his church. The second of coming of Christ will come later at the end of tribulation, the tribulation time, the seven years. So for us, the significance of what the Feast of Trumpets is telling us is to be ever diligent and watchful, to wake up and see that the time is approaching, and that we should be ready and looking. Listen to what Jesus said regarding the fig tree, which represents Israel. Mark, in Mark 13, verses 28 through 31, he says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And Jesus is using that illustration right there because it, Israel is always represented by, by the fig tree. But he's talking about that right there, and it's always bugged me because I wondered, how can that, that generation pass away and, and Jesus didn't come back? It's talking about when Israel starts budding again. In other words, when Israel comes back as a nation, when Israel starts returning to the land, when Israel starts looking like Israel again, that's the generation that sees that happening. What we've seen now coming about in the nation of Israel we're the generation that sees the fig tree starting to show up now in Israel. We're the generation that will not pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not by, by no means. I believe that's what that means in that particular scripture. I believe by the signs that we see that we are quickly approaching the 70th week of, of Daniel. We can see the prophecy in Daniel nine twenty four through 27. We're not going to read that, but uh, I know a lot of you have heard the 70th week. And matter of fact, we might teach... Uh, a session on just the 70th week of Daniel. Very interesting study. But two shofars will blow and be heard, one by the bride of Christ and the other by the covenant people of Israel. Our time here on earth should be spent in preparation and urgency. Just as a bride approaches the wedding day, so should we be in anticipation of that expected day when the groom comes to get the bride and catch her away, taking care to get our house in order for the, for the hour approaches quickly. This is our time of dress rehearsal. So what does it mean to be ready? Repentance. Examine yourself. Remember the signs. Jesus is coming back for the faithful church without spot or blemish, whether we're ready or not. And, you know, there's a, there's a passage in Matthew 25:13 that says, we, we, we know, do not know the hour or the time. No man knows the hour or the time. But one thing you need to know about that is when the watchers were looking for that sliver of, of moon, and and they said they had to watch for that they actually had to look for that maybe over a two-day period of time so it didn't say that a particular hour that that sliver of moon was going to show up sometimes it would sometimes there was a cloudy day and they didn't see it till after the clouds disappeared so no we won't know the exact hour but I think by the signs that we can see and the see what this is indicated here the signs that we see we'll know that we're in the season when that that's going to happen I believe that's going to happen soon so As we said before, you know, the watchers had to give the signal to the high priest, right? Or had to give the notice to the high priest. Two watchmen, guess what? Our priest, our high priest is going to make that announcement one day and the trump's going to blow, right? So look for that. Listen for that. One day he's coming back. That makes sense? I hope you got something out of it. That was good for me. I don't know about y'all, but I loved it, every bit of it. All right. I'm sorry I went a little... A little over, but not too bad. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, in Jesus' name, Father, we just thank you for the, for the richness of your word. We thank you, Father. That there's so much in there, Father, that tells us and shows us things. Father, if we will just seek after you and seek after your word, diligently study you and, and pursue you, Father, that you will reveal things to us, Father, that we would have not known otherwise, that your spirit, the spirit of God, will reveal things to us as we are faithful to to search your word so i thank you for the things that you're showing us i thank you for the things that you're promising us i thank you i thank you father that we see the things happening and and coming uh, and the signs that we see father that give us an indication father that that soon our your son jesus will return and take us back with him so father we're looking forward to that day father and we bless you and praise you we ur- we we urge that day to come we declare that day come soon lord jesus come soon and, Father, I just thank you for every person that's here tonight, Father, and I pray extra special blessing for them to be here tonight as they come out on this cold night, Father, when they could have stayed home. But I thank you, Father, for that. I believe you will honor them and, and bless them because of that, Father. I pray healing across the land, across this uh, across this church body, across this city of Amarillo for all the people that come down with this respiratory sickness, whatever it may be, Father. We declare it right now illegal and, and in, our, in our bodies, Father, and not part of our blessing, Father. It's, it's not part of what, we, we have, uh, been, what that has been paid for by the price of the blood of Jesus. So, Father, we declare it illegal and null and void in the life of these people, Father. We declare healing and declare it in everybody that's, uh, that needs it right now. We pray for that divine protection, your hedge of protection around us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper, and we are healed. We declare in Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below, and if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and follow us on social media, like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.